Hey there everybody, you're listening to the Raven's Grove. I'm your host Dahi, and today we're going to be delving into the world of music. More specifically, we're going to be talking about the history and evolution of one of the most divisive, controversial, and in my personal opinion, most interesting genres in music, metal. Now, I'm a proud metalhead. I grew up listening to classical music, world music, and jazz, and only started to dip my toes into the, the world of metal and rock when I was in my teenage years. I started off by listening to Metallica, Nirvana, Rammstein, Linkin Park, ACDC, and more. But at the time, I was completely unaware that those bands that I was a fan of were actually considered to be metal bands. When I was 15, I got into the Guitar Hero franchise of video games and managed to listen to many of my favorite songs from Guitar Hero 3, such as, but not limited to, LaGrange by ZZ Top, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, Even Flow by Pearl Jam, Barracuda by Heart, and Through the Fire and the Flames by Dragon Force. When I was in my early 20s, like in the early 2010s, I started getting into classic rock, stuff like Creedence, Clearwater Revival, The Rolling Stones, The Animals, The Doors, and of course, the incomparable Jimi Hendrix. But it wasn't until 2016 when my life and music tastes changed forever. See, at the time, I was doing an anthropology class at uni called Anthropology of Pop Culture, and in one memorable lecture, we got to watch a documentary called Metal, A Headbanger's Journey. This documentary looked at the metal genre and subculture from an anthropological point of view, because the guy who presented it was not just an anthropologist, he was also a metalhead, so he knew both genres. And it detailed the history of metal as a genre of music and as a subculture. When I saw that documentary, I was absolutely dumbfounded to realize that many of the bands I listened to on a near-daily basis were in fact considered to be metal bands. After that, I started to explore the world of metal a lot more intensely. Like, a good friend of mine introduced me to Viking metal bands, such as Inseferum, Tiresas, and Tyr, and quite frankly, that started an avalanche. Since that day in late December 2016, I've been a massive metalhead. That's my own personal history of metal as a genre of music, but how did metal, and by extension rock music, actually come to be? Well, the origins of rock and metal music in terms of influence and tone can be traced back to the Middle Ages, when the so-called Devil's Tritone was pl- was banned from being played in any kind of music by the church. See, the church at the time had a phenomenal amount of power, and it was theorized that if you played that tritone, which is a very specific, very creepy tone in music, you would summon the devil and he would basically drag his soul to hell. In fact, one of the most p- famous pieces of classical music, Danse Macabre by Camille Saint-Saëns, is notorious for using this tritone in its opening, which, in my opinion, grants it a very creepy, eerie sound. In fact, that's one of the reasons why it's one of my favorite pieces of music. It's instantly recognizable. The violin in it is phenomenal. It's just a really cool piece of music. However, in my opinion, the true origins of rock and metal music, they come from the jazz and blues music from the 1910s to the 1940s. See, this genre, these genres of music had their beginnings in the African-American community in the U.S. during the late 1800s and early 1900s with bluegrass and early blues and jazz music. To this day, I actually listen to blues, jazz, and neo-swing bands like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Royal Crown Review to relax. My grandpa was really into metal, well, not metal music, but jazz and blues, and so whenever I went over to his place, he would always have it on. So to this day, I always find it really calming, especially the double bass. I actually played double bass in high school, and to this day, double bass and cello music just calms me down instantly. However, it wasn't until the 1950s that rock music as we know it is properly born, and it's due to the creation of an instrument that has become instantly synonymous with rock and metal music as a whole, the electric guitar. Now, guitars as an instrument 
have been around for a couple of centuries. They evolved from the Lute, which was in turn a hybrid of the Oud, which is an Arabic instrument, very similar to a Lute. And they also took styles from the classic harp or lyre, which is common in ancient Europe. Now, according to Guitar World magazine, which is a UK publication, the first fully functioning of solid body electric guitar to be manufactured and sold is the Ropat In electric A25 frying pan, made in 1932 by a company now known as Rickenbacker Guitars. That's the first electric guitar that was made, but it's not the one that birthed the genre of rock music. That guitar is one that most people will recognize on site, even if they don't know its name. It's one that is the current emoji for guitar on Apple iOS devices. If you haven't already guessed it, it's the iconic Fender Stratocaster. Now, in the world of electric guitars, there are two main camps. You've got Fender on one side and Gibson on the other side. See, both guitar companies make exceptional quality guitars, but the rivalry between them is very similar to the rivalry between famous sports teams or between major car manufacturers. For my money, I personally think that both of them make amazing guitars, but they are each very good at playing different styles of music. For instance, Jimi Hendrix and um, Eric Clapton both played uh, Fender guitars, whereas the guys from Metallica and a couple of other big bands and Slash and Guns N' Roses, they all played Gibson guitars. It's entirely depending on what kind of music you want to play, and that's the kind of what I'm trying to say here. The point is, the Fender Telecaster was the first mass-produced solid-body electric guitar. It was released in 1951. And the Gibson Les Paul, the flagship guitar model for Gibson and the direct competitor of the Fender Stratocaster, was released a year later in 1952. This new form of musical instrument was directly responsible for the creation of rock and roll music, Monday term would be rockabilly music, in the 1950s, with artists like Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, and many others utilizing these guitars to their fullest. The big change in music tonally from rock and roll music to what is considered classic rock or even proto-metal came about in the 1960s. See, as much as I really hate them, and I really hate to admit it, when the Beatles arrived in the early 1960s, they revolutionized music, forever changing the format of rock and pop music, and when Hendrix came along and reinvented how to play guitar, well, the entire world was hooked. However, in my opinion, and bear in mind, this is just my own personal opinion here, the first metal band would either have to be Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath. See, these bands were hugely influential in their way of playing guitar, with the vast majority of modern rock and metal guitar playing techniques being at least partly based on Black Sabbath's lead guitarist Tony Iommi's distinctive playing style. See, Tony Iommi actually had a, an industrial accident before he became a musician where he lost the first knuckle digits of his, um, of his middle fingers, of his ring finger and his middle finger, they basically stop at the first knuckle back. So his guitar playing style is very heavily predicated towards power chords. And that single thing changed how people played guitar. Add in the fact that Black Sabbath made extremely heavy use of the Devil's Tritone in their song Black Sabbath from their album of the same name. And you pretty much have the birth of metal music as a genre. Nowadays, there are many, many different subgenres of metal. As I mentioned earlier, Sabbath is considered to be many, by many to be the first metal band, which is often earned at the title of original metal and proto-metal. However, the, treble, the term that most people use to describe metal as a genre, that is to say heavy metal, is actually its own subgenre. See, heavy metal as a genre includes stuff like uh, Iron Maiden and that kind of guys, but that's technically not 
what is strictly classified as heavy metal. That is what's known as the new wave of British heavy metal, and that was came about in the late 70s and early 80s. Some famous new wave bands and classic heavy metal bands include, but are not limited to, like I mentioned earlier, Iron Maiden, but you also have Judas Priest, Motorhead, Dio, Man of War. Those guys are classic heavy metal in the purest form. And one of the main offshoots of new wave of British heavy metal is the short genre of thrash metal. Thrash is characterized by very fast riffs on the guitar with a, quote, slightly manic tenor vocals, to quote guitar.co.uk. Now, most of you will probably have heard of Metallica, even if you haven't listened to the music, right? Well, Metallica is considered to be one of the so-called big four in metal music, with the others being Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. Now, most metalheads will favor at least one of these bands at some point in their history of listening to metal music, but if you're talking about metal music to a metalhead, be warned. The rivalry between Metallica fans and Megadeth fans is one of the longest-running and most bitter rivalries in metal as a subculture. Now, for my part, I enjoy, I prefer Metallica, but I also enjoy some Megadeth songs occasionally. If you're a Megadeth fan, that's all cool. Now, moving on, one of the most misunderstood and most famous, or rather infamous, Genres of metal is death metal. Death metal basically takes the traits of thrash metal, so that is, the very fast, tight riffs on the guitar, the manic tenor vocals, etc., and then makes it heavier, tunes it down lower, and has a lot more emphasis on the drums. In addition, the vocals in death metal are completely different to the vocals in thrash metal. Death metal features the appropriately named death growls, which are low, guttural, and, for the most part, incomprehensible vocal stylings that are suitably monstrous. The subject matter of death metal is often based on horror, gloom, and darkness, as you might expect. Some famous bands in the death metal genre are Amonomath, though, to be fair, Amonomath are more accurately known as melodic death metal. The uh, fictional band Death Clock from the show Metalocalypse, I'd highly recommend checking it out, it is hilarious. The band Cannibal Corpse, and the other band, The Black Dahlia Murder. I'll be doing a, another podcast on the actual events in, uh, that the Black Dahlia Murder band is named, uh, named after. It's a really cool story. Now, in the 1980s, a genre of metal that many people are at least somewhat familiar with emerged. It's known as glam metal. Sometimes called hair metal, glam metal is very nearly not a true genre of metal, given that it's got a very commercialized nature and a, almost a pop rock styling but its impact cannot be overstated in terms of sheer influence, if only for the fact that the grunge movement of the 1990s was born in response to glam metal. To give you an idea of what glam metal is like, look up Guns N' Roses, Twisted Sister, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Aerosmith, and Kiss. Those are some of the most well-known glam metal bands, and while they may have fallen out of favor in the public, they still have an extremely dedicated fan base. Now, I should mention that grunge music as a whole isn't technically considered a form of metal. That is, it's, technically, it's its own unique style of music. That being said, its impact on music and on metal is, quite frankly, enormous. See, grunge was born in the late 1980s in the Seattle region of North America, way up near the border of Canada. And the focus was a constant reje conscious rejection of the excess ideals and glitz and glam of glam metal. Now, grunge musicians wore flannel shirts, ripped jeans, and simple hard-wearing boots or sneakers like Converse's and Vans, and often because these were clothes were the only ones these musicians could afford to protect them against the cold and rain of Seattle. Grunge truly hit the public perception in 1991 with the release of Nevermind by Nirvana, in particular, their song it Smells Like Teen Spirit. This smash hit single-handedly killed glam metal dead, 
and ushered in the era of alternative rock. Unfortunately, grunge as a genre is considered to have come to an end in 1994 with the death of Kurt Cobain, the frontman and guitarist from Nirvana. Its spirit, grunge's spiritual successor, New Metal, is exemplified in bands like Linkin Park, Slipknot, Limp Bizkit, Korn, and Bring Me the Horizon, and features an alternative metal sound feature combined with hip-hop-style vocals. Now, if you talk to many metalheads about Kurt Cobain, they'll either have a love-hate relationship with him. Quite a few metalheads don't like him because they don't like grunge music. Others are big fans of him. Now, there's a lot of controversy about his death. Some people, the official ruling is as a suicide, but I, for one, I'm not so sure. I'll be doing another episode on famous controversies about famous people and unexplained murders. So stay tuned for that. Let's just say that there's some pretty compelling evidence regarding that. Now, folks, it's time for one of my personal favorite genres of metal, power metal. Power metal arose virtually at the same time in the US and Europe, independently of each other. And while the two different styles were eventually combined into one genre, there's a very distinct difference between them. As a general rule, power metal has what's known as clean vocals, meaning that the listener can, usually, understand the lyrics quite clearly, along with a very heavy emphasis on speed, such as fast guitar solos, and often, but not always, fantasy-based lyrics. The US strain of power metal has its roots in thrash metal, while the European variant has its origins in prog rock and prog metal. For a good analogy, if you're a fan of fantasy stories, the US version is like Conan, Robert E. Howard's Conan the Barbarian, whereas the European style is more like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Some of the most famous metal bands are as follows. In the US style, to name but a few, we have got Camelot, Man of War, Riot, Sabotage, and a lot more recently, the artist Jonathan Young. I'd highly recommend checking him out on YouTube. He's brilliant. He's done covers of a lot of Disney songs in a metal form. He's a really talented guy. In the European style, we've got Avantasia, Halloween, Powerwolf, Ingwie Malmsteen's Rising Force. For reference, Ingwie Malmsteen is a phenomenal guitarist. Nightwish, Dragon Force, Gloryhammer, my all-time favorite metal band, Sabaton, and the late great actor and musician Sir Christopher Lee. Yes, you heard me correctly. The man who, among his myriad roles, played Saruman in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies and Count Dooku in the Star Wars prequel trilogy, released two power metal albums about the ancient French king Charlemagne, the first one in 2010 at the age of 88, and the second one in 2013 at the age of 91. See, Christopher Lee was actually a direct descendant of Charlemagne, and it's I think it's really cool that he was able to release metal albums at that age, and I've listened to part of them. They are really good. Now, if you want a more storytelling form of metal that's usually a little bit more hardcore than power metal, I recommend taking a look at folk metal and its cousin, Viking metal. Folk metal makes liberal use of traditional folk instruments to great effect. Instruments such as the hurdy-gurdy, bagpipes, the bowdon drum, the tin whistle, and many other eclectic instruments found often in world music are very common. Folk, music, folk metal is based around telling a story, and a good deal of the songs are at least partly inspired by pagan beliefs, ancient mythology, or classic fantasy stories like Tolkien's works. Now, some of my favorite uh, folk metal bands would be like Elvatai, um, uh, Inseferum, and uh, most recently, the Mongolian metal band The Who, spelled H-U. They actually do Tibetan or Mongolian throat singing in metal. If you're a fan of games, the you know, video games Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, they actually did a few songs for the soundtrack of that. So you may have already been exposed to it without realizing it. I'd highly recommend checking them out. They are really cool. 
Now, as for Viking Metal, in my experience, it's basically the same as folk metal in terms of feel and emphasis on telling a story, but they're a lot more focused on the Vikings. That being said, many bands that are grouped often as Viking Metal do not use this term to refer to themselves. For example, Monomath is very famous for having lyrics that almost exclusively deal with Viking culture and mythology, but they really, really do not like it if they are called a Viking Metal band. They prefer to be known as Melodic Death Metal. Now, if either of these two styles appeal to you, I would personally recommend starting with Elvatai, Enceferum, Tier Turisas, Brothers in Metal, Holkoff, and Amonomath. Those are just my personal recommendations. You can make your own choices, but I'd highly recommend those ones. Now, going down the metalhead rabbit hole, we come to Doom Metal. Now, stylistically speaking, Doom Metal is nearly the opposite of Thrash. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Doom Metal is characterized by very, very slow riffs, very long, drawn-out lyrics, and extremely tuned-down guitars. Often, a Doom Metal song will go at least five minutes long, with songs up to or longer than ten minutes are very common. Now, some famous Doom Metal bands and artists are like Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath, Candlemas, Kenneth Ungle, Amin Ra, Pagan Alter, and my personal favorite, Ahab. They do a lot of songs about Moby Dick and about whaling, now, I understand that whaling is a very contentious issue. I'm talking the whaling that you find in Moby Dick. So it's 1800s, and I personally really enjoy those songs. So they're really cool. The final subgenre of metal I'm going to talk about today is perhaps the most iconic, most controversial, and most extreme form of metal music, black metal. Black metal originated in Norway, Sweden, and Finland in the early 1980s, and is characterized by fast tempos, shrieked vocals, highly distorted guitars with tremolo picking, meaning it's very, very fast, blast beat drumming, raw recording, and a very unconventional song structure. To quote the uh, documentary Metalhead, A Headbanger's Journey, which I mentioned earlier, its sound is raw, yet also epic and atmospheric, like punk rock meets Wagner dressed as Alice Cooper. End quote. You see, black metal is probably what most people envision, envisage when they think of metal music. The black and white corpse paint, the excessive spikes and studs, the satanic influences, all of these are quite common in black metal. Unfortunately, the black metal fandom has had more than its fair share of controversies. First, there were a spate of church burnings in Norway and Sweden in the early 1990s, followed very closely by the infamous murder of May the band Mayhem's co-founder and guitarist Euronymous by his bandmate Varg Verkernes in August 1993. Verkernes was convicted of first-degree murder, church arson, and possession of explosives in May 1994 and was sentenced to 21 years in prison, the maximum prison sentence in Norway. He was released on parole in 2009, but quite frankly, the damage to metal music's reputation was already done. In addition, there is a sizable amount of black metal bands that are either very far-right-leaning or are outright neo-Nazis. This is a very, very small minority in terms of the overall population of metal fans, but unfortunately, the label is already stuck. Now, on a personal note, I when I started getting into metal music, I was very, very nervous. I had no idea where to start. I felt like a fish out of water. I was a, to use a gaming term, I was a complete noob. And when I started getting into it, I was—I had no idea where to start. I was flying blind. And the people in the Metalhead community have been some of the most welcoming and just genuinely nicest people I've ever met. I'm not saying that this isn't 100% the case. Your experiences may be different, dear listener. But in my experience, if you are ever listen to metal music, even if you kind of lose interest in it later, 
you are now a part of the largest family of music fans on the planet. You can, metal doesn't care if you're black, white, any race. You can be whatever race, sexual orientation, gender, religion, age, anything you want. If you listen to metal, you're one of us and we'll stand by you. Like there's a well-known story in the metal community about this uh, this guy who took his girlfriend to a metal concert. And while at the metal concert in the mosh pit, the girlfriend gets, um, well, sexually assaulted. Like a guy tries to grope her in the pit. Now she screams out. The two other metalheads step in and pull this guy off her, ask if she's okay. And then they beat the guy up and sit on him until the security arrives to kick him out. Bruce Dickinson, the frontman from Iron Maiden, has personally actually drop-kicked Nazis and abusive people in the face at his concert for being in the front row and pulling that kind of crap. So, quite frankly, metalheads do not care who you are or what you've done in the past. If you listen to metal, you're one of us. Now, one last note. Please do not refer to metal as screamo music or say that it's just mindless noise. Metal is a very nuanced and varied style of music with one of the most devoted fan bases of any music genre on the planet. And we really don't appreciate people bagging out metal music before they even try to listen to it. So if I can leave you with just one request, folks, is this. Please don't judge us and maybe give metal a try yourselves. You might just find something you'll like. Anyway, that's all for today, folks. Thank you for listening to The Raven's Grove. I've been Dahi. You've been awesome. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.